welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a risk management firm specialising in financial crime. Our aim of these podcasts is to bring you interesting news, interviews and recordings of our exclusive events from the world of financial crime. Addressing Modern Slavery in Supply Chains In this podcast, Hope Sherwin, Themis Head of Social Impact, talks to Lord Deben, Chairman of Sandcroft, Justine Curl, Executive Director of Unseen, and Imran Rasul, Chief Procurement Officer at Nationwide, about the responsibilities financial institutions have to address modern slavery in their supply chains. We learn about the challenges procurement departments and suppliers may face in identifying and tackling this crime, and the things companies can do to overcome them. You will hear insights and experiences from experts who are at the forefront of tackling modern slavery today. Hello and welcome to this roundtable discussion on modern slavery and procurement in the financial services industry. My name is Hope Sherwin. As part of our ongoing work looking at modern slavery and human trafficking, we've published a series of podcasts in which we look at various topics relating to modern slavery and the financial services industry. This roundtable discussion today considers how financial institutions can manage modern slavery risk and seek to detect and disrupt the activity within their supply chains through their procurement channels. I'm delighted to welcome a distinguished panel with me today. Lord Deben, Chairman of Sandcroft, an international sustainability consultancy that helps some of the world's leading companies improve their environmental, ethical, and social impact. Justine Curl, Executive Director of Unseen, a leading UK charity working to end modern slavery, partnering with a range of stakeholders, including leading financial institutions. Imran Rasul, Chief Procurement Officer at Nationwide. Nationwide is the world's largest mutual financial institution, the UK's second largest mortgage provider, and one of the UK's largest savings providers. Welcome to you all, and thank you for joining me today to discuss this important subject. Uh, Imran, if I could begin uh, by asking you to set the scene for us. Um, when we talk about procurement in a financial institution such as Nationwide, what exactly are we talking about? Um, I wonder if you could outline for us the range of suppliers you deal with in general terms, what kind of companies you deal with through your procurement function, and approximately how many suppliers um, you deal with, just to give us a bit of context. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. So hi, Hope, and um, hi to the panel. Th thanks for having me today on the podcast. Um, it's really, really great to be here virtually with all of you. So, so at Nationwide, we, like most organisations, procure goods and services in order to operate our business uh, across the whole range of everything that we do. Um, so some examples, just to give you a, a feel for the, the, the breadth, um, you know, we, the energy we use to power our buildings, um, the IT equipment we use, you know, just to, to manage all our financial transactions and, and our branch colleagues, um, the clothing that our branch colleagues wear, um, waste management and catering across all our admin buildings. And then we've also got, you know, resourcing partners that we're working with for uh, recruitment and professional services companies for advice. Some of that, some of that uh, resourcing um, partners may, may be in the UK or they may be in other countries as well. And then more uniquely, as a financial services provider, we work with suppliers to source credit and debit cards, uh, ATMs, you know, on, on the street and their maintenance. Um, and we've got debt advice partners to support financially struggling members, um, as well as working with anti-money anti, uh, laundering and fraud experts. So quite a broad range for, for our own use. And then for our members themselves, we work in partnership with, um, for example, insurance products, you know, roadside assistance, mobile and phone and, phone, uh, and, and home insurance, um, as well as mortgage and investment products. So it's, it's, it's a very broad, broad spectrum. Um, we've got approximately 1,100 third parties 
that we worked with last year on a tier one basis. And of those, approximately 50% of them are strategic contracted suppliers, uh, which we which we work you know very closely with. And about 50% of them are, you know, one or two low transactional uh, PO only suppliers. That's great. Thanks. That really sets, sets the scene as a, a very broad range of, of suppliers that you're working with. Um, Lord Deben, if I could turn to you now um, to um, ask you about the work that you've been doing with Sandcroft um, and specifically to ask you about your thoughts on um, why uh, procurement departments should be interested in modern in tackling modern slavery. Um, some people might say, well, this is an issue for the financial crime team. Um, what would you say to them? Why should procurement departments um, be concerned with modern slavery? Well, I think first of all, that it is uh, part of the change of the way in which we look at our activities in business. I mean, there was a time in which businesses didn't think it was any responsibility for them as to what their particular products did to their customers. I mean, in Victorian days, they watered down the milk and they uh, used chalk to make it coloured and they did all sorts of things and really didn't feel they had much responsibility for it. Well, gradually we began to realise that if you sell something to the public, you have got to stand by what you promise and you've got to be safe and a whole series of other things. And then we began to understand that the people who worked in your factories um, ever since Lord Shaftesbury and the rest, that, that, that actually also had to be right. And um, now we're beginning to understand that our impact on the rest of the world really matters. And it's not just our direct impact, but for example, in climate change, we talk about uh, scope three um, emissions. Otherwise, people were a long way away from you, but the bit of the the bit of the machine that you use to make something that they make, you've got to have an interest as to whether those are made by people who are um, indentured labourers, who are slaved in one way or another. We have changed the way we look at business and business needs to earn for the very first time, I think, um, a license to operate of a kind which um, it never had to do before. So what we've added of recent years is a concern, not just for the consumer, not just for the worker, but for those who uh, help the supply of products and of services. And we as individuals and as companies are responsible for seeing whether, uh, whether we are profiting by modern slavery, profiting by companies that don't look after their workers, profiting by people who destroy the environment. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. I wonder, Imran, if you would like to add anything to that. Yeah, I, I completely, um, that completely resonates with me, you know, what, what Lord Devon said there. Um, it's really important to me as Chief Begin Officer that, that my team see modern slavery and the wider economic crime and sustainability issues, all of that is, is relevant to and part of their roles, you know, beyond just just the buying. Uh, yes, we've got expert teams to provide, you know, insights and to work together with. So the responsibility is not solely ours as a as a function, but we play a hugely important role in ensuring suppliers are aware of how important this agenda to, is to us. You know, by communicating with them, by um, having open dialogue with them about our expectations, um, and for me, you know, we personally in, in procurement we, we we must create the right environment where suppliers come openly to us with issues as well so we can resolve them together. Um, you know, the, the, the days are gone where, you know, these things should be hidden or not discussed. Actually creating an open environment where people can bring a concern and, uh, and, and work it through is uh, incredibly important. Yeah, great. Thank you. Justine, would, would you like to add something there? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, from all of the, the work that I have done previously with businesses, it's very clear that there was quite often a very narrow view in terms of what businesses should focus on. Um, and we've had businesses focus solely on supply chains um, and businesses thinking, particularly in the financial services, only seven or eight years ago, um, talking about it, it not impacting them and, and, and a real um, lack of understanding of, of how this could impact on financial services. But it's it's absolutely right um, what Lord Deben and Imran have said already. Um, really, it's about understanding the totality of your business. You know, where is your reach? Whether that's purely within the UK, whether that's um, much further afield. Um, but it is very much about your own organisation um, and understanding those elements of, you know, where are we su being supplied uniform from? Where are we um, being supplied in terms of our canteen? Where is our labour um, coming from? So I think all of those elements are really, really critical and suppliers in particular and the procurement and element of that is really really crucial because you don't have transparency um, and it's really important that you get those relationships right because if you do get those relationships right it makes it much easier to know and understand where your potential risks are and then work with those who are most risky potentially because they are in a risky location or there are goods or services that we recognise as being risky um, or the way in which temporary labour is sourced makes it risky, but really understanding that and then knowing that businesses have to really focus on those key risks first. Thanks, Justine. Um, you mentioned levels of, of awareness um, and I, I wanted to just um, come back to you and ask about... Um, in your work, what you see as the greatest challenges and obstacles um, facing procurement departments when tackling modern slavery, um, you know, internally, is it is it levels of awareness um, that is that is a you know a barrier to to change or an obstacle to overcome, or is it um, you know that more trainings required, or what are some of the typical um, challenges that that companies face when trying to address this and through looking at their supply chains well i i think it's all of the above to be fair i think there's absolutely an, a necessity to understand to raise awareness to educate people about where and how risks can manifest themselves and taking simple steps so you know there, there are lots of people out there that, that want businesses to spend an absolute fortune tune on on all of this but actually it's good business it's understanding where your risks are it's knowing what questions to ask when you're working with a supplier or a third party it's knowing who provides your recruit recruitment um, and it's then being able to ask those sensible questions and remember um, we always talk about compliance from a procurement perspective we need to throw that word away in in a way we need to talk about continuous improvement we really need to focus on always looking at the next thing always making sure that we're not standing still and I think my point about the financial sector eight years ago um, was probably the case for many sectors and for many industries. I think there's a real um, understanding now that we need to do more. Um, there are some businesses that are doing um, you know, great work um, and we can learn from that. And there are others that quite frankly are taking no interest in this whatsoever, um, whether that's a lack of knowledge and understanding or whether that's just a complete disregard uh, for the legislation. But I think what we need to do is remind everybody that workers are really at the heart of what we're talking about and whether you are an individual member of the public whether you are working in a procurement team or you are a ceo of a of an international company we all have a role and a moral obligation to do the right thing we would not want any of our family members or any of our friends or, or neighbors to be involved in situations like this and unfortunately from my experience um, we do see that happening all of the time. So, you know, we need to dispel the myths around this is about 
um, you know, people in third world countries, so to speak, or the developing world. It's very much here and now. It's here in the 21st century in the UK. And we just need everybody to sit up, take note and actually take progressive and inter um, uh, steps that will help us um, in, on an iterative basis to actually move forward. Thanks, Justine. I, I particularly liked your, your comment about um, we need to throw away the word compliance and move towards um, continuous improvement. Um, Imran, does that all ring true for you? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, we, we worked um, very closely with Justine um, on a tailored uh, set of trainings and, and workshops for our entire procurement function last year. I mean, they, they were hugely valuable to us uh, in terms of building capability and understanding amongst, amongst the team. And you know, it, it, in my experience, if training isn't tailored and interactive, uh, I personally find it can be very dull, you know, and uh, it doesn't build the awareness that you need, especially on such an important topic. And as Justine said, you know, these, the, the examples that uh, we had within our training were things that were happening in this country, in this day and age. And that was really, you know, eye-opening for for, for people to see in terms of just uh, consciousness. So something we're, we're acutely aware of uh, when we were developing the training. Um, we, we found the approach hugely successful. Uh, you know, we put all of our team through it. 100% of the team said it enhanced their understanding of modern slavery generally uh, and relevance to their role. Um, but, you know, as mentioned before, we, we realized it's not just the procurement team that needs to be aware of these things. So we're now looking to roll out further sessions to operational vendor management colleagues, uh, others within the society. Um, and we also hope to um, roll that training out further or at least encourage our suppliers to go on that journey as well so that they can, they can sort of have those same thought processes as they look at their supply chains. Um, we, you know, it's, it's also something which, which I, I firmly believe doesn't just stop with one training. You know, the, Time moves on. People need refreshes, and it's, it's something that will continue to be part of our part of our program. Absolutely, um, Lord Deben. I'm, I'm sure you you would agree that um, continuous improvement um, is the way forward, and that we should we should uh, seek to move away from from compliance. I don't think we should throw away the word compliance. I, I know exactly why Justine says that, but. The truth is there are far too many companies that don't even comply with the very uh, restricted demands, for example, of the Modern Slavery Act. I mean, when uh, we did the first of the Sankoff Tussle um, indices, we found that 38% of the top 100 uh, people who were, uh, had, the, had the largest uh, contracts with government were not obeying the law. So, I mean, it really is outrageous how many people feel that this is an unnecessary thing to, to be dealing with. Uh, the second thing is I want to very much agree with the people who, who remind uh, businessmen that it's not something that happens only in India or in Pakistan or in China. Um, we did some very important work for a major clothing company in Britain. And the very first, for all, all around the world, the very first examples of modern slavery came from Manchester. And you've only got to see what Boohoo has found um, and the situation in Leicester. You realize why quite a number of companies won't source in Leicester because they don't believe that they can overcome the problems of modern slavery there. So we ought, secondly, um, to realize that there are an awful lot of companies that just don't think of this as uh, a universal problem. All the indications are that it's increasing, if anything, in Britain, not decreasing. And thirdly, I do think it's useful to remind people of the particular areas where uh, modern slavery is likely to occur. It usually happens either where the, um, where the product is manufactured uh, uh, behind closed doors. In other words, transparency is the biggest enemy of modern slavery. Or it happens where people um, hardly really recognize that they are using a service. So 
car washes are a very good example where there's a lot of modern slavery. And the reason is, actually, most people can't remember the name of the car wash that they last had their car washed in. It's not something that you, you don't think through these things. So I think that that third issue is very important, is to recognize there are some areas where this kind of activity is particularly noticeable. And that's why I think that the movement towards uh, more and more stuff being bought online is a real issue because in the retail trade, most of the people who work in shops are there on show, so to speak. They, they, they are there and they have to uh, deal with customers. Quite difficult to deal with your staff badly if you then want them to deal well with the customers. But there are an awful lot of people in the, um, uh, in the business of mail order where clearly people are not being paid properly, where they are not having, uh, in effect, they are not even being paid the national minimum wage, leave alone a living wage. And of course, so much of this goes on behind closed doors. There's no interaction with the public. And that's an area, again, where if you're in the procurement world, you really need to make sure that you have visited, visited without notice, actually have talked with other people who are using those particular suppliers or having their deliveries done by those delivery companies before you can be sure that you're not dealing with modern slavery. Absolutely. And you, and you say that this is, this is a, a something that's only getting worse. And certainly that through the pandemic, people have moved hugely to online retail away from shops and, and, and it will you know, mask all sorts of things. Um, Imran, I, I would like to ask you about the, uh, the programme that you have, the Procurement for Mutual Good programme at Nationwide. Um, could you tell us a bit more about this and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So Procurement for Mutual Good is our, is our programme for building a more diverse, more ethical and greener supply chain. Um, so we know we've got a, a role to play in driving demand for greener products from responsible suppliers. Um, and we're really committed to, to leverage our name and our procurement spend for a better future. Um, so through the programme, we're continually, continually embedding sustainable uh, considerations into the, into the processes that we have for procurement. Um, and that's, that's everything from building internal requirements for new goods, goods or services um, to actually to setting new standards during supplier onboarding and contracting um, and monitoring performance over time, you know, to, to touch on Paul Devin's uh, point there about you know, just, just making sure that we continually check in all this against um, the things that, that are important. So sustainability is really at the heart of our procurement. And um, under the programme, we've got a few focus areas under that umbrella. They're specifically around climate action, uh, circular economy, supply chain diversity, social enterprises, um, prompt payment and human and labour rights, which includes modern slavery. So um, you know, this topic firmly sits underneath the procurement for mutual good banner in terms of working with our suppliers and onboarding them. So we totally recognise that the, the work's you know, never finished and there's always more that we can do, but it's an agenda deeply connected to our purpose as a mutual uh, and therefore something we're very passionate about and something that, that has a huge buy-in across the society. Have you ever encountered a case of suspected slavery, forced labour or coercion in your supply chain? Uh, I, I, I'm, it's a good question. I'm pleased to say that we've not found to date a case of slavery in our supply chain. Um, but I completely acknowledge that doesn't mean it doesn't exist uh, just because it hasn't been discovered. So yeah, but through our supply chain tools, um, we did find a couple of cases where suppliers that we believe should be publishing a statement under the UK Modern Slavery Act haven't had one. Um, and that, that allowed us to open a dialogue with them uh, on this and um, both have now published statements you know that they've done the things that they that they should have done we know a statement only goes so far but it does force an important internal conversation that can spur much more meaningful action to combat modern slavery so mm -hmm. again it's about it's about opening that conversation um, no, no matter what the topic may be that, that comes to light um, you know certainly I take the stance that 
we'd rather use our position to support a supplier to remedy an issue and you know and strengthen their controls um, to mitigate the risk of modern slavery taking place you know in its entirety yeah so rather than striking them off your procurement list working with them to affect change yes absolutely and and you know we believe that's in the spirit of the UK Modern Slavery Act as well. Yeah, absolutely. You remember um, that, uh, Hope, can I say this? You remember that uh, Unilever's chairman said um, if they didn't find modern slavery in their supply chain, they hadn't looked hard enough, that their measure of success was that they actually found it. And it seems to me that that's quite a good comment for a, a, as diversified a business as theirs. I mean, I think rather different from for somebody like Nationwide, but but for a, a, the for Unilever, I thought it was a very brave statement to make. They were the first to produce a, a proper modern slavery uh, document, as you know. Um, but it, it it really emphasised the fact that it's nothing a shame. It doesn't shame you if you find modern slavery. What shames you is if you don't do anything about it. Oh. Absolutely. Completely, completely agree with that. You know, that, that absolute honesty and, you know, that, that, that uh, approach is, um, is one to be commended. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we've, we've talked quite a bit about, um, uh, we've heard about the, the range of suppliers and, and, you know, that I imagine can be, can be quite a challenge um, um, from, from both sides, both from the, the, the company, but also from the supplier angle. Um, one option that, that some banks use is the services of benchmarking companies such as EcoVardis or Helios have uh, FSQS system. Um, and these, these are um, sustainability benchmarking uh, services that can increase efficiency and reduce questionnaire fatigue on the part of the supplier. But I wonder whether they address the question of modern slavery adequately in, in their uh, due diligence research. Um, Justine, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the use of these, these benchmarking assessments of suppliers. Do you, how robust do you believe this information can be when it's provided by a sort of a third party? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. Um, I, I think they have a, play to par a part to play, but if we think that we're putting all our eggs into that basket, then I would be very concerned. I think you need a multi-pronged approach. I think you really need to understand that and, and really take uh, Lord Deven's point about the con compliance versus continuous improvement. But um, for me, we've got a lot of businesses at the moment saying we are compliant, but they're actually not doing very much. And, you know, I was involved in drafting the Modern Slavery Act in Section 54, um, and I think it was a real step forward. But but we also we need to remember that it is just a, bit, a piece of paper and actually what's really important is all of the work that happens underneath that and some businesses are very um, loath to um, include too much information in those um, statements and um, we've seen some businesses that just year on year are regurgitating the same information um, and then we've got other companies who are also relying on these types of platforms um, and I'm not doing much else aside from that. So I think it really is very much around a multi-pronged approach, having these types of platforms um, making sure that we, we still use audits in the right way, that we do have supplier codes of conduct that really um, set out the relationship between um, you know, the, the supplier and the business and making sure that, um, as Inram said earlier, it's about working with suppliers to improve conditions. You know, what we want to do is prevent it. We don't want to displace it. And this is quite often what happens when businesses walk away from suppliers. I'm off, if I may say so, I'm also concerned about these um, uh, ways of doing it. I think that um, Justine is right. Um, you should not rely only on that, uh, the work of these agencies. Uh, not only that, I also think that if you're not careful, this is an excuse for not doing the work yourself. 
I mean, dealing with modern slavery, dealing with these, these really important ethical subjects of procurement ought to be part of the business of those who are doing the procurement. It ought to be something they take responsibility for, but also that they take, um, they take it as part of their job. And I'm always concerned about companies that say, oh, well, we're perfectly all right because we've got Mr. X who does it. Um, I'm much more interested in whether Mr. X is the kind of person who makes sure that the business actually itself begins to take uh, ownership of this whole program. And in Sancroft, when we're working, we're very, very clear about this. You, you, not, it's not about benchmarking. You may use a benchmark to point out to people that they've got a long way to go. You can have, use a benchmark to help people realize they've done some very successful things. But in the end, what you have to do if you're a proper consultant in this area is you've got to get them to take responsibility and ownership for this and to build a business in which this is part of the business um, operation. I, I absolutely that, agree. You're really in trouble, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think, you know, we a business cannot discharge its responsibilities by assuming that one of these platforms is undertaking their due diligence on their behalf. Um, and I would say that, you know, for the businesses where this is ingrained in their DNA, they will have a much better response because they will just know it, get it, and will know what steps to take. And that's what where we need to take many businesses on a journey um, of discovery, of understanding. And don't you think, Justine, that we ought to remind these businesses too, that in the end, if it goes wrong, it isn't the benchmark company which gets it in the neck, it's the business. So, you, you know, this is, Absolutely. I think, this is a tremendously important part of, of the learning curve. That is, we now live in a world in which people do not expect there to be uh, modern slavery. And even in companies who will talk about the socioeconomic groups which they serve really aren't interested in this. Absolute nonsense. There are always enough of them, enough people who are interested in this. And if it goes wrong, the reputational damage is enormous. Boohoo has suffered enormously because of the revelations. And it will go on suffering until it can actually prove to people that they have overcome these. That's why they've taken such very big efforts to try to overcome this problem, because they recognize that even though they're providing for a section of the community, which some people rather snootily thinks are not very interested in this, they've learned that that's not so. Imran, I wonder if you might like to to add anything to the to these comments. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I actually I wholeheartedly you know agree with um, both Justine and, and Lord Devlin on, on this. And you know, at, at the end of the day, it's the it's the end user and it's the end procurer of, of the service that um, is ultimately responsible. And um, from a PR perspective as well, you know, if if something. Uh, terrible does happen is, um, is 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 the one that's in the papers or you know has a negative the negative press associated with it. So is the end user. I mean, so for me, you know, these are these are tools. You know, they're 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 part of the arsenal of things that you can use, and it's it's how you use them that's important. So you know, for, for us, we've recently partnered with Ecovalis. Actually, we we've just uh, signed up to their service um, as we're really conscious of the information asks you know, placed on suppliers. And if there's a way to increase the efficiency of, you know, those are so that the efforts are better spent on taking, you know, real action uh, to face the, the the issues that we face, like modern slavery and climate change, then we're all for it. Um, but that said, you know, we don't solely rely on EcoVardis score, uh, you know, given given to a supplier, um, and nor would EcoVardis actually recommend us to do that. Um, as, as I said, it's a tool to help us identify strengths and weaknesses, um, and that. That then allows us to prioritise our efforts and dig further into some of those weaknesses and, and collaborate with, with those suppliers to turn them into strengths. So I certainly don't believe it's it's a fix-all um, uh, and there's no there's certainly no one solution that I know of that would uh, that would get you that answer. It's it's part of an arsenal of tools that we must uh, we must use as a as an educated procurement team. 
just continuing on the on the uh, the theme of um, you know the the huge amount of, of work that that um, complying or, or um, providing information to to the the company that's procuring uh, can can place on on suppliers. Um, I'm I'm just thinking about the small suppliers and and whether this places quite a, a burden on their resources. Um, Justine, I think this is something that you've you've looked at. Um, are there particular things that large organizations such as Nationwide or any large organization that, that's procuring, are there things that they can do to help the smaller suppliers um, um, provide them with the information they need, um, show, prove that they, they are working on this issue? Um, without them becoming completely overwhelmed with, with supplying documents and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, um, you know, for me, I think that the word that springs to mind is proportionality. So we need to be proportionate. And when we work to look at um, risk assessing for businesses, we're very much of the view, you know, is this material to your business? Can you leverage um, your influence around those those businesses because what we need to do is we need to create an environment where we we say we're intolerant of this type of activity and behavior um, but you're absolutely right there are many businesses that feel like they are discharging their responsibility it's not their job to keep on top of suppliers two three four tears down um, but I'm sorry that that is exactly what you should be doing you should be offering help to those who are less able um, don't have the resources don't have the capacity or capability necessarily to do that and it's about education it's about setting expectations so you know businesses having a very very clear code of conduct setting expectations, you know, what you can expect from us, what we expect from you, um, making it clear that modern slavery is something that, that we are trying to prevent, but actually it could happen. And what we will do is work with you if that is the case. Um, but what we want you to do is to take um, appropriate steps around due diligence. So think about those other suppliers that you may then be subcontracting with um, to make sure that you are not just um, circumventing risk by um, not not taking that that appropriate action. So it's very much around you know those assurances, but having in place strong relationships and a strong set of um, codes of conduct that you can then draw on and and that you're there to help and support, rather than the the young the small supplier feeling like they will be just cut aside. Um, because I think that's the worst thing that can happen, you know, because we're talking about workers at the end of the day and we put workers into a much serious, more serious position um, if we don't kind of step in and try and help. So, you know, my, my message would be that's exactly what we need to do. Um, and I think the one thing that, that I was really pleased about when we brought in Section 54 uh, into the Modern Slavery Act was the fact that we made it the responsibility of the board to approve the uh, statement. I think what that does is it, it takes it out of a CSR, um, you know, HR responsibility, which many of these businesses had placed it into. And it is now front and center uh, within the board. Yes, we still have uh, much work to do because we still have businesses that, that don't seem to care or, or take any notice of their legal obligations but we definitely are moving in the right direction. Um, and, and for me, it is very much around really making sure that those relationships help us to get to where we need to. And that's offering help to those who are less able to do it themselves. Imran, are there, are there particular things that you're doing that help the smaller suppliers? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're very conscious of our role to play in supporting smaller businesses. and. Um, and, and, and the different expectations that we should have of them versus multinationals. You know, they, they, they do have a different um, capability and, um, and, you know, ability to enact things. Um, you know, last year, we, um, we actually updated our third party code of practice uh, to clearly illustrate the different requirements we've got of micro, small and medium enterprises um, compared with the larger organizations. So, so putting a, a higher, um, 
higher standard, if you like, and an expectation on 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 those that can those that can manage it. Um, we've also just built that into um, our new source to exit system that we're, we're about to go live with uh, a new source to exit system um, powered by Cooper, and um, we're, we're actually sort of programming that in uh, to it as well. Um, and our next step is really to look at options for coaching and training some of the smaller suppliers on the on material sustainability topics too. You know, I think that's the next step for us is to, to really help them um, on the journey. Yeah, fascinating. That that's that sounds really great. Um, Lord Deben, you mentioned earlier uh, the Sandcroft Tussle report that, that your organization was involved with, um, I think last year or the year before. Um, and this looked at uh, modern slavery within uh, government procurement. Do you see similar challenges um, between the, the public sector and the private sector in um, addressing this, this subject? Well, I do think that um, uh, that Justine is right, that the most important or one of the most important elements of the legislation is now that it's got to be signed off by the main board. But I have to say that um, when one approached the uh, 38 companies that, that really were not meeting their minimum obligations, um, the general view was, oh, well, this was, you know, one of those things just a you know, uh, mistake. I mean, I'm frightfully sorry. Um, one of them was one of the major accountancy firms responsible for getting other people to do this job properly. So I rather enjoyed that, uh, explaining that it was no good <laughs> just passing it off like that. But it seems to me that um, the, the real problem is that we have this phrase, modern slavery, which I find a very difficult phrase because... When people say slavery, they immediately don't think it's modern. So then you put the word modern in front of it, and then they still think of it in the terms of the obvious chains around the ankles, slaves out in the sunshine in, 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 in the West Indies. They don't think of it of poor, pathetic people uh, from Eastern Europe who've had their, um, uh, who have been frightened by believing that they are illegal immigrants when very often they're not, and have had their passports taken away from them. And whom if you met in the street, apart from the fact that they probably don't speak English, you would think of um, as a, a, a normal worker going to work. And indeed that's what they do. And yet there are people who have these holes over them. So there, the obviousness is not there. And that's why I'm not sure that we don't have to have a better word for this, because what mm. they really are, are people who are being used for the benefits of other people and, and are being treated in a way which is not humane and which we wouldn't ever allow our children to be uh, uh, treated uh, alike. And for me, that's the question I always have to ask. Uh, are the people who are making this, providing this service, doing what I am paying for, are they being treated in a way in which I would feel was decent? And I do think bringing back that word decency, this is indecent employment. And bringing that word decency into it very often gets people to be a little more concerned. And I've always thought of a particular chairman of a company uh, who, which was uh, uh, falsely accused of uh, behaving badly to its workers in, in Bangladesh, saying to me, look, I wouldn't sleep at night if I thought I behaved like that. And I just think all of us have to say, uh, can I honestly sleep at night uh, running a business, being a procurement officer, doing my job and uh, knowing that the people I work with, I'm looking after in that very primary, extremely basic sense. Yeah, the, this subject of um, the word modern slavery, it comes up very, very often in our discussions. And is it, is it uh, actually hindering the, the work that we're all doing in, in, in taking this, this um, work forward because it does conjure up 
um, images of, of practices from, from years gone by, and it, it doesn't help to um, focus people's minds on what's happening, in, particularly in the UK. Um, but um, it's it, terminology is it's difficult to change when that's become the, the, yeah. the term that everybody uses now. Um, I'd like to ask one final question to, to all of you. Um, and Lord Deba, maybe I could, I could start with you. Um, many of our listeners um, on these podcasts are, are starting on the journey um, towards um, addressing the modern slavery within their organizations. Some are less advanced than others. Um, what advice would you give to an organization just starting on this journey, starting to work with their suppliers? Where should they focus their attention um, in, in the early days of their, of their work? Oh, I think you have to do it in a practical way. You start by looking at those businesses who are in your supply chain, um, who are your prime suppliers. Mind you, before you do that, you look at your own business just to make sure you've got it right. Then your prime suppliers. Then you redefine prime suppliers to make it direct suppliers. In other words, people who directly supply you but may not be prime ones. And then you move from that to the prime suppliers of your prime suppliers. In other words, you begin to move down the line. And in the meantime, you begin to get to know your prime suppliers better and begin to recognize that some of them will be doing this job properly themselves. And so you leave them to the end. And you deal with those prime suppliers whom you really feel aren't doing the job properly. And what's more, you lay this out as a program that you're on this journey to eradicate any uh, modern slavery in your supply chain in order that people will know that because you've done that before, um, if you're criticized, you can genuinely say, we have a program, we can't do everything at once, but we're starting with the prime, then with the direct, and then with the prime of our direct suppliers, and we're doing it in that order, in order that we do it properly. And I think that's very important, because otherwise, Sometimes people get started on the journey and then get deflected because some organization, some competitor very often, this has become a real issue of competition. Some competitor has put it about that you're not doing something about some aspect. And it's very important for people to recognize that you do have a proper program, properly thought out, uh, of the same quality as anything else in a business financial uh, supplying, financial uh, uh, structure, all the things that you'd expect to be done properly uh, in a business, this must be just as proper. Imran, what advice, what advice would you give? I, you know, that was, that was actually very good advice that, that Lord Devin gave, gave in terms of programmatically working it through. I mean, the, the things I would add to it are, yeah, I think it's incredibly important to raise internal awareness of the, of the topic as a whole. So yeah. the education of what it is, how to spot it, the sorts of, you know, how to have the right conversations with the suppliers, with your, with your internal stakeholders as well, who are, who are you know, requesting those services. That's, that's to me, a, a, the, the place to start. You, know, you, you, have, you have to begin there. Um, and then, as Dr. Lewis says, you know, then prioritise your efforts, you know, where you think the highest risk is and, and methodically work through. The, the other piece that um, I, I think is, well, two pieces I think are incredibly valuable. One is that conversation and that awareness uh, being clear to your supply base through forums, whether it's events, conferences, etc. you know, talking about this subject quite publicly and the importance to, to the organisation of it. Um, to, to, to raise that awareness. Um, and, and the third thing, the, the last thing around metrics is, you know, particularly if you're a procurement function, work towards a balanced scorecard, right? So it's it's not just about, you know, cost reductions and, uh, you know, contract terms and risk that, you know, you should be looking at as a procurement function, but these broader topics, whether it's modern slavery, whether it's, you know, climate change, whether, you know, 
social value, et cetera, have those things embedded into your scorecards that, you know, get measured on and get, you know, uh, get rated against um, and make it balanced. So it becomes, it becomes real in, in the day-to-day job. Great. That, that's, that's really great advice. Thanks. Justine, would you like to add anything there? Um, yeah. I, so for businesses who think pressing down on price, quality and timeliness, um, and then standing back and saying it, it's not our fault um, when modern slavery or worker exploitation is occurring, I think need to really uh, take a look at themselves. So if you are pressing as hard as you possibly can to get the lowest price possible, somewhere down the supply chain, you are complicit in uh, worker exploitation because there is potentially no way that a supplier or, or suppliers several um tiers down are going to be able to um you know make sufficient money to pay their workers um as lord deben said you know decent work and decent pay um so for me that's really really crucial and i think that is part of a procurement element but i also think it's part of the ethos of a company as well so i uh, you know getting getting a board to say well actually let's work this through and work out um what the cost of goods and services would be if we paid you know for example within um the uk the national minimum wage or living wage then i think you know looking at that more closely is is fundamental i agree around education i think it should be top to bottom and bottom up um, it's not just about those who have a, a particular function. I think it needs to happen across the piece. Um, and I really do think that people need to assess where they are and where they need to get to. So that kind of gap analysis, really understanding, well, where are the gaps before you start trying to work out where your risks are? Because um, you're kind of uh, fishing in a big pool. Um, so, so really understanding what you've got in place, what you potentially need, how you're going to fill that gap, then start to look at, at where your risks are. Um, and just don't be afraid to talk about the subject. You know, um, you know being open, I, I think, um, is very well received. And it comes back to um, some of the previous comments around businesses saying, well, we found it and we should celebrate the fact that we found it and also celebrate the fact that um, we've done something um, helpful with it we've, we've remediated um, and we've worked out our lessons learned and how we're going to apply that back into the business and I think that's absolutely crucial. Thanks Justine that's that's some really you know, great uh, food for thought and great advice. Um, I'm afraid that's all we've we've got time for today. Um, thank you all for your insights and experiences and, and comments. Um, it's been a really interesting discussion and um, I hope that um, all our listeners have, have enjoyed it as well. Um, thank you again for making the time to, to be with us today. This podcast is part of a series of virtual discussions we have published as part of our work addressing modern slavery and human trafficking. We are working in partnership with the UK Independent Anti-Slavery Commissioner to explore the ways in which the financial services sector can identify and prevent modern slavery and human trafficking. If you have time, I would encourage you to listen to the other podcasts in this series, which involve a range of expert speakers and highlight the excellent work being done by many of the industry's champions to address this terrible crime. Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. We hope you found it interesting and informative. If you would like to find out more about Themis, get in touch with us via our website, www.crime.financial. You can also subscribe for future news and interviews.